Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. It's Tuesday, May 3rd, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, why doesn't the U.S. get all the cool chip flavors that other countries do? Plus, scientists have figured out a way to break down plastic in just a few days instead of over centuries. And why a bunch of creepy dolls keep washing ashore along the Gulf Coast in Texas. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. Whenever I traveled to London in the before times, I'd always take advantage of the Tesco meal deal. For three pounds, the ubiquitous grocery store lets you get a sandwich, a snack, and a drink. It's budget-friendly, easy to pop into a Tesco no matter what part of town you're hitting up that day. The sandwiches were pretty great quality, and the best part, you gotta pick from their giant selection of chips, or crisps, I suppose. The United Kingdom, like many countries around the world, has a wide variety of chip flavors that can sometimes seem pretty off the wall to Americans, accustomed to our slim, boring selection. Walkers, the Lay's-owned equivalent in the UK, boasts flavors such as cheese and onion, smoky bacon, Worcestershire sauce, beef and onion, Marmite, and my personal favorite, prawn cocktail. And they're not the only ones. Over in Thailand, they have salmon chili lime chips. In China, they have spicy hot pot chips. In Wales, there's lamb and mint. In Jordan, they have yogurt and herbs. Romania has wild mushrooms and sour cream. India's got an awesome flavor called magic masala. And Canada, of course, has their famous ketchup chips. And this is all just scratching the surface. Thailand, in particular, has tons of unique flavors. Some delicious-sounding, some eyebrow-raising. You may not want to try all of these, but the question remains, why is the selection in the U.S. comparatively so limited? A lot of the creatively flavored chips around the world are manufactured by Frito-Lay, who makes most of the chips in the U.S. as well, so couldn't they just share the recipes or ship some of those other flavors over here? Fortunately, Jaya Saxena recently dug into this question over at Eater. She spoke with Jason Cohen, the CEO of Gastrograph AI, a company that uses AI to target specific demographics and help food companies develop new products. Unfortunately, Cohen reports, most companies use tools that basically just make use of a basic bell curve. Popular flavors like salted and barbecue reign supreme in the U.S. as broadly acceptable because lots of people like them. And all countries use the bell curve model to a certain extent, not just the U.S., but because the U.S. is so huge and diverse, broadly acceptable ends up meaning less exciting flavors than in other places. Quoting Eater, 
You can build a generally acceptable targeted product in a more ethnically homogenous country, says Cohen. The U.S. is huge, diverse, and has tons of regional differences. So when you start doing traditional consumer testing, it's about the lowest common denominator. In France, the lowest common denominator gets you a poulet roti chip, and in China, a spicy crayfish chip, and in Kazakhstan, pickles and dill. Here, we get endless riffs on cheese and onions. Given that the U.S. is a big country, you'd think that if 15% of the population is interested in a hot pot chip, that's still millions of people these companies could be reaching. But according to Cohen, the way research is done usually won't catch those people who want more unusual flavors. End quote. That's because even if a new flavor were to be proposed and make it all the way to a taste test, the tests are kind of designed against unique flavors. First, major companies seek out participants who eat chips about four times a week, and that kind of person is not the average consumer. If someone is eating chips that many times a week, they're probably pairing them with something else, like a soup or a sandwich, so they may be more predisposed to enjoy a more neutral flavor. And by only focusing on those power users, so to speak, the studies don't take into account people who might eat more chips if there were more exciting flavors to try. Quoting again, To determine whether a flavor is worth making, Cohen says chip companies have test subjects do a side-by-side taste test with a chip already on the market. And for them to produce it, the majority of the tasters must like the new chip more than what already exists. Half the people in the panel could say, I don't know, I like this one at a 6 and I like this one at a 5. And 15% of the panel could say the new chip is the best thing they've ever tasted, and the company still won't make it, says Cohen. They don't base their decisions on the magnitude of preference, they base it on the mean of preference, end quote. Big companies don't want to take risks when they already have something that's working. Or as Saxena somewhat dramatically puts it, quote, as always, it appears commerce is the death of art. End quote. But just like art, not everyone is actually as into the weird stuff as some of us might like to think. Even if wild flavors are the norm in other countries, the norm here is a little less exciting. And that's what the vast majority of people are into. Mark Lan, an associate professor of marketing at the University of Tampa, told Eater that it's like the diffusion of innovation theory, something I'm a big fan of personally in framing all kinds of public opinion. It takes us back to the bell curve. Basically, you've got the innovators, people who are the first to try something new. They represent only 2.5% of the population. And then you have the early adopters. They'll try something before most people, but not as quick as the innovators. They represent about 13.5% of the population. After that comes the early majority at 34%, the late majority also at 34%, and the laggards at 16%. But if we use that to say that only the innovators and the early adopters are into trying unique new chip flavors, that's still only 16% of the population. And 16% of the population is not enough for major snack companies to take a risk on. The tides could be turning, though. As I've spent the last few minutes bemoaning how boring American chip flavors are, you may have been sitting there thinking of every exception to my rule. Flamin' Hot Cheetos, chili and pickle and chicken flavors from brands like Howl's, Zaps, Pringles, and Trader Joe's, the growing juggernaut that is Takis. It seems the needle is moving in the U.S., but whether it will be enough to bring the U.S. into the land of bizarre chip flavors with the rest of the world is yet to be seen. 
One of the reasons that plastic is such a scourge on the environment is because it can take centuries to break down. As a result, 12% of all global waste is plastic, and scientists have long been working on ways to break down all that plastic more quickly. A team from the University of Texas at Austin has just created a modified enzyme that could do just that, reducing the time it takes plastic to break down from years to mere days, even just hours in some cases. Now, this isn't the first time that scientists have discovered or engineered enzymes to break down plastic in just a few days. Scientists have been pursuing this line of study since 2005 and discovered at least 19 distinct enzymes with these capabilities. Most are derived from naturally occurring bacteria that were discovered already living on discarded plastic in the environment. But this latest team of researchers says that those enzymes function best in their specific environments, and therefore, if they were to be taken out out of that environment to be applied in places like recycling centers, they may not function correctly. And that's why this new enzyme is more groundbreaking. It's not impeded by moderate changes to things like temperature or pH conditions. And reflecting that stability, the enzyme has been dubbed Fast Pet Ace, which stands for Functional, Active, Stable, and Tolerant Pet Ace. And they identified it after using machine learning to run through 19,000 protein structures, searching for combinations of amino acids that tested well across a range of temperatures and pH conditions and performed better than some of those existing variants. Quoting Vice, the fast-acting protein can break down building blocks of polyethylene terephthalate, or PET, a synthetic resin used in fibers for clothing and plastic, through a process called depolymerization, in which a catalyst separates the building blocks that make up PET into their original monomers, which can then be repolymerized, built back into virgin plastic, and converted into other products. Most impressively, the enzymes broke down the plastic in one week. One thing we can do is we can break this down into its initial monomers, Hal Alper, professor in chemical engineering and author on the paper, told Motherboard over the phone. And that's what the enzyme does. And then once you have your original monomer, it's as if you're making fresh plastic from scratch, with the benefit that you don't need to use additional petroleum resources, end quote. Alper emphasized that it works better than melting plastic and remolding it because with that workflow, you're losing the integrity of the plastic each time you do it. But when you depolymerize Polymerize and then repolymerize, you're basically creating brand new pet plastic every time. And from Futurity, quote, Through this process, which included studying 51 different post-consumer plastic containers, five different polyester fibers and fabrics and water bottles all made from PET, the researchers proved the effectiveness of the enzyme. Up next, the team plans to work on scaling up enzyme production to prepare for industrial and environmental application. The researchers have filed a patent application for the technology and are eyeing several different uses. Cleaning up landfills and greening high-waste-producing industries are the most obvious. But another key potential use is environmental remediation. The team is looking at a number of ways to get the enzymes out into the field to clean up polluted sites. End quote. Alper says the possibilities are endless, saying, quote, Beyond the obvious waste management industry, this also provides corporations from every sector the opportunity to take a lead in recycling their products. Through these more sustainable enzyme approaches, we can begin to envision a true circular plastics economy. End quote.
Well, speaking of plastics polluting up our waters, researchers surveying the coasts along the Texas shoreline say that for years, in addition to the marine mammals, sea turtles, and endangered birds they've kept tabs on, they've been finding creepy dolls washed ashore. Covered in barnacles with eyes, hair, clothing, and sometimes even limbs missing, these dolls look straight out of SID's experiments in Toy Story. Researchers at the Mission Aransas Reserve post the creepiest-looking dolls to their Facebook page, to the delight and confusion of their followers. Director Jace Tunnel told the Fort Worth Star-Telegram that the first one they found turned out to be the head of a sex doll, which he didn't realize when he posted the photo on Facebook. We got a lot of followers on the page after that, he said. But why so many dolls? It sounds reminiscent of France's problem with those Garfield novelty phones, which kept washing ashore along the coast in Brittany for 30 years. In that case, a sunken shipping container filled with the Garfield phones had ended up in a sea cave. But by the time the mystery had been solved and a team was able to physically investigate the container, it was empty, with all of the phones having long since been spread throughout the sea. Back in Texas, the creepy doll problem is a result of a loop current in the area. Quoting the Star-Telegram, Through a two-year study conducted by the UT Marine Science Institute, of which Mission Aransas is a part, researchers learned that the Texas Coastal Bend region is a junk magnet. Texas Coastal Bend beaches get ten times the amount of trash than any other beach in the Gulf of Mexico, Tunnel said, compared to what researchers in Florida and Mississippi found after conducting identical projects. This is due in large part to a loop current reaching from the Yucatan Peninsula to Florida. This current creates eddies that push debris towards the Texas Gulf and the coastal bend in particular, end quote. Now, there's no particular explanation for the high frequency of dolls, but the researchers note that they do find other debris as well. The dolls just make for the best pictures because they're so eerie. Maybe at some point we'll discover there was some sort of manufacturer or large shop positioned in exactly the right spot to account for an outsized proportion of the pollution that ends up in the Gulf, but for now, the researchers are focused on just cleaning up anything they find and creeping out their social media followers as much as possible when the opportunity arises. Well, the U.S. may not have as many chip flavors as other countries, but we definitely rule the world when it comes to weird breakfast cereals. And now, in a bid to be even more subversive than Sour Patch Kids cereal, Tropicana has made an admittedly pretty boring cereal with one very crucial design element. It's meant to be eaten with orange juice, not milk. Now, I spent many years on the water in cereal bandwagon, so I'm not really one to be throwing stones here, but uh, this is certainly a bold move. Called Tropicana Crunch, it's a honey almond cereal that honestly does sound like it would go pretty well with orange juice, once you get over the weirdness of sitting down to enjoy a whole bowl of orange juice. But, you know, I mean, if you've gotten into smoothie bowls at all, then this is kind of similar, just more melted. Tropicana 
TechCrunch is launching tomorrow for National Orange Juice Day, which is a holiday I didn't realize before that I shared my birthday with. The website doesn't specify how wide a release Tropicana Crunch is getting or how long it will be available for. Tropicana is also the brand that launched their own toothpaste last fall that is supposed to prevent orange juice from tasting bad after you brush your teeth by removing the active ingredient sodium lauryl sulfate, or SLS. Link in the show notes to the segment I did on that back in November if you want to learn more about SLS and the history of toothpaste. It might be a good toothpaste to invest in if you end up being a big fan of putting orange juice in your cereal. But that is it from me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.